Memorial Day is a very tender time for so many who are remembering loved ones, especially those who died in combat to secure the freedoms we all enjoy in the United States of America. Today, Neil and I take a bit of time to honor and thank them and share memories of the two men who we named our baby boy Harold David after, my grandpa Harold and Neil's brother Dave. We also share our thoughts and feelings about life after death, what we believe happens to our loved ones after they pass on, and what they're busy doing helping us from the other side. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm here with Neil. Welcome. My baby daddy. And uh, this episode is going to go live on Memorial Day, and we're pre-recording it just a couple days before we have our baby boy. So when this comes out, he will already have been born, but right now his name is still a mystery to everyone except for Neil and me. And so you guys already know this, but his name is going to be Harold. We're going to call him Harry David Stokoe. And his name is uh, named after two of the most, we kind of decided that it would be special to name him after the two men that mean the most to us who have passed on to the next life or are in heaven. And that was something that it was cool when we agreed on that name because wouldn't you say all the other kids' names? It's taken us quite a while to yeah, agree. It's hard to get to kind of get on the same page with it. There's <laughs> usually like one person knows somebody who it, kind of the name throws it off or is, has a bad association. So that this one was yeah, a little easier. This little boy's name just came to us really quick. And it, it happened in the temple uh, back when we were going weekly. And it was just really sweet and special. I felt like it was a really spiritual experience when that happened, and it just felt super right for both of us, and I thought the name Harry was so cute. So anyway, today we're going to talk about Memorial Day, what that means to us, remembering loved ones who have passed on, and I'm going to start by addressing right out of the gate the sensitivity of this holiday, and it's even weird to call it a holiday, I feel like. It's a little bit of a conundrum because like, Memorial Day for many people is full of tradition and getting people together and going and doing something out in the sun. Like I, I, growing up, I always thought of that as kind of like the kickoff to summer. You know, it's right when things are warming up, at least in Utah. And it's usually a big beach day down here. I don't know what it's going to be like this year with all the social distancing. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how yeah, it goes down. Like the beaches are at least at the, up until this point, they've been like opened, then closed, then reopened. And so we'll see, but that's always tricky. And then having a deal blog for the last seven years, Memorial Day is always a big day for sales. And I've upset people a couple of times posting about deals and having them come back and say, this should never be a day that's celebrated or deals shouldn't be shared on, on this day. You should never say happy Memorial Day. And I understand. I know that the, how do I say this? I understand that the primary reason that we have this day is to remember those who have fallen in combat, who, you know, served in the armed forces and gave us the freedoms that we now enjoy. I totally understand that. And it was interesting having this conversation with Amy Lou Hawthorne, who gave an incredible interview a few months back about being in the armed forces and her husband was also, or he actively is now. And just talking about their experiences. That's a great episode if you want to go back and listen to it. But, you know, I asked her her opinion about this and she said, she had a really beautiful answer. She just basically said, I think it's perfectly appropriate to remember your loved ones on that day and still, you know, 
have sensitivity to those who have lost people in one of the armed forces. And, you know, I feel like, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, but I feel like my mom did such a great job of raising me uh, to have the utmost respect for people in the armed forces because her dad was in the Navy and her dad, who we are naming our baby after Harold. And, you know, she just always taught me to respect the flag, always taught me to put my hand over my heart anytime the flag was being raised or the Star Spangled Banner was sung. And just to really respect and love and appreciate those in the armed forces. So that's something really important to me. But I also think it's really appropriate to take that day to remember people who have passed on because it's Memorial Day. So today we're just going to have kind of a short, sweet episode about these two men who are so important to us. And so I want to start with Neil and ask you when Harry's old enough to talk to him about your brother, Dave, what are you going to teach him and what kind of memories will you share with him? And what will you tell him about Dave as a man and who he was? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great question. And I mean, first and foremost, I think every child that we've had that's come into our family has like their own unique personalities. Yep. Um, and so this is a, a tough one for me because I think Dave, my brother Dave, there's so much there as far as like just how charismatic he was, the leadership, his ability to form relationships with people, like, you know, vision, foresight. I mean, just an incredible person. And so, you know, you don't want to put like too much pressure on on your kid to be like, look, I expect you to be all of these things. And if you're not, you're a failure or anything like that. But I think, you know, as far as paying respect to, you know, a man that, that I looked up to my entire life and have such a deep respect for, um, and then exemplified so many things that I have strived to become, um, I think that that made, you know, makes sense to me to, to kind of, you know, if there was somebody that I could name one of our children after, I mean, that would be it. And I, I think, you know, with his, his name, I think actually naming him David Stoko or as a first name was like a little too, a little too close, like closely related there. And I, I'm like, I'm like, there just can't be another David Stoko. Um, and you I know, agreed with it, that. It just, it's just, yeah. it's like, you know, it's just hard to, I don't know. I didn't want to put that, put that on, on our son, <laughs> I guess the pressure. Um, but if I, as far as like memories or, or things that, that I would tell him are just that, I think the ability of the leadership capabilities, and I think the amount of like the humble leadership to where I think the the characteristics and qualities that spoke to me so strongly with my brother Dave was his ability to be like a really strong leader and take the bull by the horns and and charge forward and make things happen and you know direct people and and you know get people excited and create a vision and really push forward for it but at the same time his ability to take direction from anybody anybody that that has or had any type of, you know, an experience or information or a perspective, I think he would listen to like all walks of life and it would, would have this amazing ability to set up an equal relationship with people and make them comfortable and take from their experience in life and apply it to his own and be very 
you know, become very well-rounded and real, be able to relate to all walks of life, which was really cool. Um, so those are some things. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's so many memories that I have of Dave. It's hard to like, it's just hard to narrow down one or two or, you know, a few. I'm sure that I'll have all kinds of stories to really, you know, pass along to him. But I think that just the general concept of somebody as far as, you know, a strong example in, you know, what they were striving to do with their life and what they did with their life, and then even how they handled their their challenges and their weaknesses and, and approached those with humility and acceptance is super inspiring to me. And, and so that's something that, you know, I hope to be able to instill some of these attributes and, attributes and characteristics in, in our son. podcast if you guys aren't familiar we shared a podcast episode all about you know how Dave passed away that was I think our first or second episode ever yeah yeah the first episode you're right so you can go back and listen to that but and I shared a really tender little story of my one of my last interactions with him about the rocking chair and him insisting on finding this rocking chair for me to nurse Millie on uh, on Christmas Eve even though I was like no I'll just sit on the bed it's fine but also that night, my my true very last interaction with Dave before he passed away was Annabelle ran up to him and said, Uncle Dave, do you have presents for me? And I was like, oh my gosh, Annabelle, you don't ask people that. And he just laughed and was like, yeah, we actually do. And, you know, we'll get them to you or whatever. But he just, that's one thing that Dave, I will always think of with him is he just never got offended. He was always like, had a yeah. way of like making, turning everything positive and just being like, finding the positivity in everything or just like laughing or he didn't take himself too seriously. And I loved that about Dave. Yeah. So are there any, is there like a good story that you can tell that you remember from childhood or growing up or even like as adults? I mean, I know that that Glamis photo shoot was super special to you because you guys rode yeah. in the sand dunes so many times. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's one that's kind of cool. Um, so we grew up, and I don't know where we got this. I don't know if it was just kind of from friends in our neighborhood or whatever, but uh, my dad definitely wasn't into this, which was like riding motocross or motorcycles. <laughs> he actually completely like hated motorcycles. He just, you know, had, he's a teacher and he had a student who died on one and, you know, just had some negative experiences himself on a motorcycle the one time he rode one. And so Dave was like just adamant that he wanted a motorcycle. And I remember he was, I think in about maybe sixth grade, he's probably like 11 or 12. And he did this family home evening where he put together this presentation with, you know, for my dad of why he should get, be able to get a motorcycle. You know, what he, he put up this, drew up this contract on why he should be able to get it. Here's what I'll do. I won't, you know, ride it illegally. I'll, you know, I'll ride it only in the dirt. All he, he was going to buy it. He, you know, worked and saved the money for it. He had identified a motorcycle he wanted. And I just remember my dad, you know, Dave's presenting all this and my dad just pounding my fist, his fist on the table and just saying, no, no, like, no, you're not going <laughs> to get a motorcycle. And Dave, just wouldn't back down. He's like, why, why not? Why wouldn't, you know, and he like continued to like 
present this strong argument with my dad. And my dad's like, can be really stern and firm. And Dave just didn't back down. So finally, my dad agreed. And he got this motorcycle, this, you know, and, and so we'd ride it around in our backyard. And eventually he sold that. And, um, you know, we kind of grew up a little bit. Was this the one that you, like, saved your lunch money for? No. So <laughs> then later on, he'd, he'd gotten rid of the one, you know, that one was really, it was a really small one. And, we, you know, he'd grown up, grown up, you know, probably five or six years. And so was in high school. He just had graduated and I was in middle school and we were just like, man, we got to get a bike again. Like, let's get a bike. And so I saved my lunch money from school for like a year. What did you eat? I would like, has so bad. I would have just like a Coke and a cookie every day. And like, I would totally, I'm so embarrassed by this, but I'm going to admit it. My friends are going to laugh. You know me. Like I would just go and ask people for a quarter, like a bunch of my friends and buy a (laughs) Coke and a cookie. It's, It's like looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. But people were like super cool. And so I saved up, you know, almost enough, probably about half of what I needed to buy this motorcycle. And my brother kind of found it. So he put in half, I put in half, and we bought this this dirt bike. And it was just something cool that we both had. We'd go ride it. And it was it's kind of funny, you know, we would just like take turns riding it, trade off. Like I'd go session on it and then bring it back. And we'd talk like, oh man, that was so awesome. That jump was so cool you did. You know, then he would take it out and go ripping around and come back. And um, it was something that was just, I don't know, it always meant so much to us. And there was a certain kind, like he always loved the, these, it's made by Honda. It's a CR is the name of the motorcycle that we had. And so we always would say like, oh, we got to get out on the CR. Like, man, let's, let's get a CR. And so that was always something that was really special to us. So he went on a mission. I sold the bike. He came back, he got a different bike. I went on a mission for our church for two years, came back and he looked at me and he's just like, so what's up, dude, you going to get a bike or what? (laughs) And so um, I, you know, kind of got my first real job and started going to school and saved up money. And then that was such a cool day. This was like a lifelong childhood dream of ours. So me and Dave went down to the Honda dealership in Salt Lake, walked onto the showroom. There's a brand new Honda CRF. 450 motorcycle, this, this dirt bike. I mean, it just looked incredible. We dreamed of this for years. And so both of us walked in there. We're like, yeah, like this is the coolest moment. So bought the bike. We wheeled it off, you know, wheeled it off the showroom floor, took it home again, funny enough, like took turns kind of ride it and around the neighborhood. And then, you know, that for the next couple of years, we were out every other weekend, you know, hitting trails or riding track or, and then he had a bike and he ended up getting a, a same deal, you know, for the first time, bought a brand new one right off the showroom floor a year or so after I did. And so it was just a big dream that we'd always had. And it just kind of meant something. So it was really cool at his at his viewing um, and the funeral. One of his best friends went to a Honda dealership in Salt Lake and asked them to borrow. It was a brand new CRF 450. And we had it there kind of as people were walking in. And like, that's such a significant, like, I don't know, symbol of like our childhood and growing up and and our bond, you know, with family and friends. Um, So it's just really cool. That's something that, that we, you know, that, that I'll always kind of remember. And I still have my CRF and, 
he's his bike's still at his house and and I think you know we we did a memorial ride last year where we all kind of got together and and did this dirt bike ride um, I, I went with my little nephew his son and then his best friend Nate um, and we all you know went on this dirt bike ride and so it's something that you know this year obviously we're not going to do that because of the virus and and whatnot but you know that's something moving forward that we'll probably do and so yeah that's that's kind of a really cool story that I can remember. The Glamis photo shoot too, I felt like was totally this tender mercy that was just orchestrated. Yeah, All I was surprised. Dave. I'm like, you said Glamis. I'm like, Glamis? You want to go to Glamis? Well, like, I was researching. Wow. Yeah, I was trying to just look for some creative ideas for a photo shoot and found Glamis, you know, as I was searching just totally randomly on the internet. Which is like, if you don't know, is like a sand dunes place. It's like a place where everyone goes and rides four wheelers and dune buggies and motocross bikes and stuff. So it's... Like yeah, Neil deal. just perked right up when I said, "Where? how far away is Glamis? He was like, Glamis? Why do you want to go to Glamis? <laughs> and I said, oh, it's supposed to have these really beautiful sand dunes. And he was like, "Uh, yeah, when When are we going? I'll drive you. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. I'm, like, I'm, I'm bringing my bike if we're going. Yeah. There. So we ended up going out to Glamis and we took our photographer, Arielle, and she got these beautiful pictures. But it was just really special, too, to see Neil riding that night. Like we got there just before sunset and he was able to ride while um, Arielle and I took my maternity photos. And I just haven't seen him that happy, I don't think, since... Dave died. I think that was like the happiest I've seen him since then. It was like, it was like a little kid in a candy store. He was just like beaming and smiling from ear to ear. So that was cool that we ended up there. Not so randomly. I think that was totally meant to be. And I think it was just a little tender mercy and made me feel even more confident that, yeah, we should definitely name this baby, you know, partially after him. So that was special. Yeah. And so from my grandpa, Harold, who we're naming baby Harry after, he was magic to me. I just, I have nothing but pure magical memories of my grandpa. And, you know, if you imagine how small your world is when you're five, six years old, or even like three or four, you know, when, whenever your memories start, like four-ish years old, you know, until he passed away when I was six. And basically it was like my parents and my grandparents and that's kind of it. I didn't know a whole lot of other people, you know, maybe a couple neighbors here or there, people from church, but really we spent so much time with my mom's parents in those last few years before he passed away because we lived up in the Seattle area where my grand, well, my grandma still lives there now and that's where my mom grew up and that's where my grandpa was living until he passed away. And there's a few things to unpack here. First of all, I was the only grandchild. So he and my grandma just treated me like, you know, you know how first time grandparents are with that first grandbaby. I was just like the sun, the moon and the stars to them. So, and I remember him just giving me so much special treatment. Like he would buy special cereal for me when I came over and he, uh, he had this restaurant that he owned, and I want to read what my mom wrote. If you've listened to our podcast and you've heard me talk about StoryWorth 
which is a sponsor of the podcast. They're actually not sponsoring today's episode, but they've sponsored other episodes. And this is such a treasured gift to me. Uh, I gave this StoryWorth subscription to my mom and asked her all kinds of questions, one of which was, you know, what was your dad like? And so she wrote all of these beautiful memories of her dad. And this is what my mom said. She said, dad loved sweets, especially anything baked. He loved cookies and pies and cake. There was always dessert at our home and dad had a serious sweet tooth. When Corinne was young, he told her he bought the Lakeshore restaurant so he could take her there to have pie for breakfast. And this is something I vividly remember, vividly, that he would wake me up when everybody else was still asleep in the house and sneak me out of the house and take me down to the Lakeshore restaurant and we would have pie for breakfast. And he would always kind of get in trouble because at that point he had type 2 diabetes. So he really was not supposed to be indulging in sugar, but he used kind of this like grandpa time as an excuse to take me down there and we would have pie for breakfast. And a couple of times he let me work at the restaurant. He would give me just these really simple jobs like wiping down the counters or whatever. And I felt so special that he entrusted me with some of these little duties. And he just really was so magical to me. And Another funny story is I remember he had this boat, like a, I don't even know exactly what kind of boat it was, but a boat that was hitched to a trailer that you could take out onto the water and they lived close to the water. And, and I remember begging him to take me on a boat ride. And so finally one day he had my grandma sit in the back. He had us get in the boat and then he backed the boat down this big, long driveway that they lived on. And then he just like drove me around the block a few times in the boat and said, okay, there's your boat ride. And I was so upset (laughs) with him because I was like, no, that's not what I meant. But, you know, he just was always looking for ways to do fun things with me. And just, I know my mom told me that they didn't have a lot of money, but he would take all the money that he had and buy like the nicest gifts he could for me for Christmas or my birthday or whatever. And, you know, when he passed away and I was six, it was really super devastating to me because he was, you know, other than my own parents and I was an only child at the time. Well, I guess my sister Brooke was born just a couple months before he died. So up until basically he died, I was an only child and I was so close with him that it was really hard. I remember crying a lot, not really understanding, you know, how to process that loss And so for years after he died, I remember I would say my prayers and I would ask Heavenly Father to pass along these messages to my grandpa. And so, you know, not like I was praying to him, but praying to get messages to him. And I totally believe that he, you know, was receiving those messages. And another really special thing that I think is just really tender about my grandpa is that he he recovered from being an alcoholic just before I was born. And so he was a very different person for my mom growing up, you know, and she's talked about this openly before on her Instagram, but I don't have any memory of that. I don't remember at all him ever being drunk because he got sober just before I was born or maybe right around the time I was born. And when Neil and I really went through some of our struggles in the beginning of our marriage, And we talk openly about this, too. If you're just finding this episode, we have lots of episodes on recovery and uh, the 12 steps. But he got sober through AA, through going to Alcoholics Anonymous and doing the 12 steps. And it wasn't until a couple years into us going to weekly 12-step meetings that one time we were on step 
let's see, step nine, uh, reconciliation and restitution. And it just dawned on me as we were reading through that step that week. And I just remember getting super emotional because I was like, oh my gosh, I was my grandpa's living amends to my mom. The way that his relationship was with me was so special, so magical. He just was everything to me while he was alive. And it was such a special thing to realize that, you know, when I think as we've watched many, many people go through addiction, when you try to make things right from years of damage, there are just certain things that can't really be made fully right, at least in this life. And so, you know, as addicts, I think a lot of times they just try to take on the role of a living amends, right? I mean, explain how that works from your perspective. So it's basically the concept of like, look, I've, you know, maybe done things that are kind of irreversible or done damage that, you know, you you do your best to kind of reconcile throughout in specific steps. But really a living amends is kind of, you know, living today in a way that that makes up for for yesterday's debts. Basically mm-hmm. living in a sober and clean life and living in recovery as a way to kind of pay it, pay it back, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, look, I, you know, there are things that I did and an active addiction that were so destructive or, or, you know, negative that the only thing that I can do is just to, you know, live in a way now to be of service, to be a blessing, to, to be in, in a good spot myself so that I can, you know, have an ongoing example of, being solid and being true and being, you know, acting in the, in, in what I know to be right, that I might be able to be of best help and service to those around me. And in basically in hopes of, you know, that repairing or, or making some type of an amends and, like and really making it right, making, making it right. right yeah. You know, like if, if there was a, a wrong committed by somebody, you know, a lot of times you'll hear, the person who was wronged, if depending on where they're, you know, it, there's different examples, but depending on, you know, what type of a personal they are, a lot of times it's like, you know what, if you can just take this as a learning experience and, and become a better person and, and really turn around and bless other people's lives, then, you know, that will, will kind of help amend that process. So, uh, and just to be clear, that's not like a, hey, I can, you know, I can reconcile my own sins without, Christ, you know, like it's not a way of like supplementing the atonement. Skirting around, yeah. Or skirting around (laughs) that. You can't like pay for your own sins, but you can in living, you know, paying it forward in the way that you act and and what you do in your life. And that was just really special to me to make that realization. And I really felt the Spirit telling me this is what that relationship meant. This was, you know, his way or one way that you're your mom's dad tried to be, you know, make a living amends to her. And I remember also listening to someone in one of the meetings just share about how he was about to have a granddaughter and how he wanted to treat that relationship like a living amends. And that was a super special share for me to hear. And it made me super emotional again to just hear someone share something like that. And it's like I could picture my grandpa sitting in a 12-step AA meeting back in the 80s saying basically the same thing. I don't know if he ever did, but, you know, it just felt like the special connection 
And I also have had some really strong impressions that in retrospect, some of the really like instrumental things that had to happen for us to move here and for us to find the 12-step meetings that we did and for us to find ARP and find recovery and find this solution through working these 12 steps, I really felt like my grandpa played a special role in that and had a special interest in helping us find that. And I really believe too in angels and in the other, you know, people on the other side as they pass on to the next life and are in heaven, that they're busy. They're not just sitting there. They're not just like, you know, playing a harp and sitting on a cloud, but that they're busy doing God's work. And I feel like one of the things that our ancestors do for us when we're tied to them and not, not even just like ancestors, your brother, Dave, or my grandpa, Harry, um, that they look out for us and they help us. I really believe in that. And I believe that that was one of the reasons that he wanted to help us, you know, fight for our marriage and find this solution because the 12 steps meant a lot to him. And I think that he wanted us to find that same thing. And I really believe in that. I think on that note too, I would just love for you to share your thoughts and feelings, Neil, about like what you believe personally or what we believe about people, you know, what we believe believe about life after death and and what that looks like right now for these two men that we love so much. Yeah. I mean, there's not like a ton of information on really detailed on like this is how it is and this is and and there's a lot of different accounts and things you can read in books where people have talked about it and um you know and I think that's kind of your own personal their own personal experiences of of maybe what that was. But I I think that we do believe that after this life, that there is another life, that there's a, a combination of the spirit and the body. Um, the spirit has kind of always existed in some, you know, form and lived, we lived with God before we were born. When we came to this earth, you know, our spirit was was put into a physical body and that makes a soul and that's us. And we go through this mortal experience and we have experiences that grow and learn and become more like God. And, you know, through trials and challenges, we, we develop ourselves spiritually. And then when we die, our spirit and our bodies separate, our bodies go on the ground, and then our spirit lives on. And that in, you know, that realm, work is still being done. Um, and I think that, you know, these are things that, that we know and that, that they're aware of us and that th- those who have passed on are very aware of us and, and what we're doing and where we're at and are concerned about our, our lives and our well-being and that we will see them again um, after this life is, is over, after we're done with, with our, you know, sojourn here on, on earth. And so I think that, you know, I've had my own really cool kind of spiritual impressions of feeling close to, and I, you know, if, if anyone's had someone pass on that's close to them, you've, you've probably experienced that, or you really can feel strongly, uh, like a lot of in different situations or maybe in, in some, you know, isolated experience, really feel someone's presence as though they're they're there with you but there's no like physical person in front of you and so i've had a few i've had a lot of those really cool experiences um and they're really powerful and they're really special and and i don't know just on a on a personal note for myself i really feel like you know my brother has always been with me and he's still with me and i i don't know 
the logistics of how that works and and you know you you could speculate on on how that would work but i really feel like because of that connection um you just kind of always feel close to him or that he's close to me um, when i really stop and and think about it which is really cool and i've i've had another you know one of my really good friends died of cancer a few years ago and it's it was the same and, and kind of is the same for him as well. I, I I think that you know those memories and those feelings and those re- that relationship that we developed is so strong and that connection is so strong. It's like they're alive. Yeah. You know, and 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 you can feel that that life. Yeah, and for me, I feel like going back to when we decided on this name of Harold David Stoko, when we were sitting in the temple. It just felt so right because I feel like these two men have played such an instrumental role in our lives, you know, since they've passed on for me. I feel like pretty much my whole life, my grandpa has been there for me at times and taken special interest in helping me through certain challenges. And even with Dave, it's funny, but, you know, grief, we have a whole episode on grief, but grief is a really hard thing. And I... There was one week where I had to go to the temple alone because Neil and I couldn't go together that week for some reason. Our schedules didn't align. And so I went by myself and I was sitting at the very end. You can sit in a really holy place called the celestial room. I was sitting there and I hadn't for months felt that like direct presence of Dave, but I felt like he came and sat right next to me and put his arm around me and was just like, how are you doing, Corinne? You know, it was just like, just like he was if I had seen him in person, just happy, optimistic. And I felt like it was this impression that I had that he was just like, hey, hang in there. Everything's going to be okay. It had been a really hard week for Neil as far as his grief was going. And that was, you know, we were kind of at odds a little bit and I was feeling really frustrated. And I, I had that feeling that Dave came to me in the temple and was just like, hey, how's it going? You know? everything's going to be okay. And I also, you know, with having this baby boy come into our family, I felt such an urgency that he was dying to come down more than all the other girls, you know, more than our three previous kids. When we would go to the temple just before he was conceived, I guess, I just kept having this strong, strong impression that there was a baby up there going like, put me in, put me in. I'm ready to come. I'm ready to go. Like, I want to go down. I want to be in, you know, I want to be part of this family. And then, you know, when we found out that we were pregnant, we found out that we were having a boy. That was such a special little moment. We were, our family was at Disneyland and I got the phone call from the nurse because we had done the blood work since I'm, I have a geriatric pregnancy since I'm 35 (laughs) And it just, the minute I found out it was a boy, it made so much sense. And then the minute that we kind of talked about naming him, it was like, oh, this makes perfect sense to name him after the two men that probably are mentoring him and spending time with him up in heaven and getting him ready, you know, to come down here. And it just has, there have been so many sweet little tender mercies along the way with uh, preparing to have this baby boy come into our family. And it just... All of our girls have family names too, but I think of all the names, this just has felt extra special. So anyway, thanks for letting us kind of mull through these memories today. And I hope that whatever this day means to you, that you feel like you can take the day to celebrate and remember people who have passed on that you love during Memorial Day. And 
um, pay tribute to them. And again, we are very, very grateful for those who have passed on who gave sacrifices in our armed forces so that we could live in such a privileged land and have so many blessings here in the United States of America. I am truly so grateful for that. And um, Neil, do you have any final thoughts? Um, no, I've just kind of the same, echoed the same thing. I mean, I think that we have a lot to be grateful for and, and a lot, especially of people that we need to be thankful for and sacrifices that were made in order to give us what we have. Um, so it's a special day. It's really cool to, to think back and remember those who made that happen for us. And, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of our family trees, there's somebody that has fought in a war. And I know in mine there is. I know my, you know, my grandpa um, fought in a war and, and my dad was in the army for, uh, you know, a minute. And, and then people who are actively out there you know, on the front lines. And I think that there's a lot that we owe to them. So it's really cool to take a, a minute and be grateful for them. All right. Well, thanks you guys. And we will catch you here next week. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.